By the way, today we're dealing with fear and anxiety. Okay, and so as we deal with fear and anxiety today, there's a couple of things that we need to discuss ahead of time. First of all, we need to talk about who we are. Who we are as Christians, how God sees us, what we're about, because I promise you all of this feeds in to the fear and anxiety that when we feel if we don't understand this well. And so we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to turn this on and it's going to work better. Okay, and we're going to start with this idea of a couple of fancy theological words that um, you should use in parties and other places to impress your friends. And the first one is justified. The doctrine of justification simply says this, that in a one-time action, when you come to the cross, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when, when you make this decision, there's a one-time action where God has canceled the record of debts against you. That's what that means. It's not a continual action. It's not something that happens over time. It's a one-time decision by the God of the universe when you come to the cross, when you experience salvation, past sins, today's sins, tomorrow's sins. That when you come to the cross... The God of the universe chooses to cancel the record of wrongs against you. This is the process of justification. You are now justified before God. You are, I'm going to give you another word here, you are guiltless before God. You ever call your kids upstairs and you look at them? Aubrey, what'd you do? Nothing. We know better, don't we? Riley was really good at that. Riley was really, it was never anything. I never did anything. What are you talking about? But she was always guilty. And it was written on her face. It's the great thing about Riley. She was a terrible liar. I mean, there were times we felt sorry for her. Like, I mean, honestly, there were times we're like, okay, I, I, I know we're her parents, and this is, like, this is like now a good super thing that we can use all through her life, but like, man, we should probably coach her up on this a little bit. <laughs> Riley was one that when she lied, she would go into hyperdrive with details. Like so many ridiculous details that nobody would ever care about or know about, but you could tell she's been working on her story. She's like, I'm going to sell it with detail. Yeah. But she was guilty, and she knew it, right? And, and here's the thing. We should be guilty, and there's no part of your heart that doesn't know it. We should be ashamed, and there's no part of our heart that doesn't know it. But yet God comes along and God offers this grand thing called salvation. And it happens when we come to the cross and we are then justified. We are made right before God. That's why, as I was talking earlier, that's why I have the, the privilege to go into this throne room on my own without needing a mediator. Because I have a mediator. The mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ. And I'm yelling at you again and I'm sorry. 
man. Okay. This is just a big deal, guys. This is a big deal. I mean, you, you, you can't not get this. And when we talk about this thing that we're talking about, we talk about respectable sins, I never want you to be confused. You are guiltless before God. But there's another fancy theological term that we have to figure out. There's another thing that we have to, to drill down on, and it's this idea of sanctified. See, you are justified before God. That means you are guiltless. He has canceled the record of wrongs against you. But the process of sanctification means that God is not satisfied with your current condition. You are justified in your current condition. You are guiltless in your current condition. But God is not pleased to leave you in your current condition. He intends to grow you up. That's the process of sanctification. You are sanctified when the continual and oftentimes painful process of God working in your life. You know what? We're dealing with this in my family right now. We've been praying for a long time for people in my family, Carrie and I have. And one of the prayers that we've, we've said in this is that, you know what? We need, we need these people to come and be reconciled to Jesus Christ. Because their lives are at stake. Their souls are at stake. This is a big deal. And so we've prayed the very hard prayer, and I think some of you have probably prayed this for people that you love also. We've prayed the very hard prayer that, you know what, God? And this hurts. Break them. Do what you have to do. Take their life, turn it upside down, shake them, do what you must do. Illness. Unemployment, disease, relational turmoil, family turmoil. Do what you have to do to get their attention because their enjoyment in this small little blip of a life is nothing compared to eternity. It's the process of justification. I'm sorry, no, no, that was completely wrong. It's the process of sanctification, of growing them up to be more like Christ. In this moment, I need them to be broken so they'll come to the cross, but God does the same thing for us because we need to grow up like Jesus. That's what happens when we become Christians. That's why God doesn't take us and pluck us away. We have a whole lot of growing to do, and we have valuable work for the kingdom to do. And so God moves us in this process, and sometimes in that process, he disciplines. He breaks. He turns you upside down. Sometimes he shakes you. Sometimes he brings you to the core of yourself as he's trying to break sin away from your life. See, so some of you here this morning, we talk about respectable sins and we talk about cutting sin out of your life. That's what we said. If you want to grow, you've got to ruthlessly cut sin out of your life. That's the process. So we talk about respectable sins and some of you, you come along with this and you're like, okay, well, why is God always mad at me? You know, I mess up, so God's mad at me. No, you mess up, and God sees you as guiltless. God loves you passionately, terribly. He loves you, and so because he loves you, he's going to continue to tweak and, and pull and pluck and break what he needs to break so that you'll grow up to be more and more like Jesus. So if you're a Christian here this morning, when we talk about respectable sins, what we're talking about is the process of sanctification of growing you up to be more like Jesus. The problem with this now 
is that sometimes when discipline happens, or sometimes when life happens because we live in a broken world, by the way, I'm not suggesting that every bad thing that ever happens to you is discipline. I'm just not. You know what, if you get a flat tire on the way home today, it's very plausible that God is not disciplining you. It's very plausible that you live in a broken world, and in a broken world, there's nails on the road. And when you drive over a nail on the road, you're going to get a flat tire. It's part of the environment that we live in, okay? But, but God disciplines, and God disciplines, and when God disciplines, we worry and, and we wonder, um, is he real? Does he love us? Does he care about us? And there's this grand thing, and we're going to get to this as we get into the text a little bit, but there's this huge mistake that we always make where we start to assume that because God allows discipline in our lives, because God does things in our lives, or because of the consequences of living in a broken world, we start to wonder that maybe he isn't really for us. Or maybe he doesn't really love us. Or maybe he's really not powerful the way that we thought he was powerful. And as we get into the text today, we're going to see that all of that fear and all of that anxiety, it all boils down to one thing that we have to battle. Okay? And we'll see that. First, we see where it comes from. You know, we've done this all through the series. We, we talk theology first. Where, where, what do we mean when we say that fear and anxiety is sin? So we're going to look at this. Where does it come from and why is it problematic and then we'll look at some practical application for that. But to start with, I just want you to do this. Raise your hand if you are sometimes fearful or anxious or worry, because that's nicer, right? Go ahead, raise it high. Take a look around. You are not alone. You're not alone. Okay, uh, I was telling the elders before we started the service today that I feel like this is probably, last week we talked about sexual sins and that stings, but that this week is almost a bigger deal. And this week is almost a bigger deal because we have so prettied up the idea of anxiety and fear, right? Some of you, I love you, some of you call it wisdom. Like you act anxious and you act fearful and then when you're confronted about your anxiety and your fearfulness, you're just like, I'm just being wise. It's not wisdom. It's fear. Here's where it comes from. Okay? Oh, my goodness. That's the one. Uh, it comes from the book of Genesis. I know you're, all, you're thinking, like, all through the series, we keep going back to Genesis. Of course we keep going back to Genesis because this all happens in Genesis. Sin enters the world. Everything gets broken in Genesis. Okay? So here's what happens. In Genesis 1, God creates the man, the woman. He's created everything. It's all done. We're at the end of day six, and he says to the man, he says to the woman, here's what you do. You go be fruitful, and you multiply, right? And you, you tame the earth. You go and you subdue it. It's a cultural mandate that God gives Adam and Eve to go and conquer the earth, to spread out, to multiply, to subdue the earth. And we read in that text that it's all going to be good. Like, there is no hint of anything but safety and security. The mandate is for peace and prosperity, right? There's no death in the world. There's no sickness in the world. There's no relational turmoil in the world at this point. Everything is good. Everything is right. God says, go, work it. Work the land. You're going to eat from it, but, but we get this idea that he's going to work hard, but yet it's never going to feel laborious. 
It's never going to be turmoil. It's always going to go smoothly. It's going to be a great hard day's work, and it's going to feel awesome, and you're going to reap the benefits of everything that you sow, and this is the cultural mandate, and it's great, and they're going to live forever. And then we get to Genesis 3, and they sin, and sin happens, and God doles out consequences, and you read here what God says, the ground, this is skipping into it a little bit, but the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It'll grow thorns and thistles, though you'll eat of its grain. So it'll still produce for you, but it's not good anymore. It's not the way it was intended to be anymore. The earth is jacked up. It's all wrong. Okay, and then he says this, by the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground. Get that? Until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Hey, Adam. Hey, Eve. Good job, guys. You're going to die. It's the meaning of God's words there. In a world where death was not even a thought, where death had no position, where death wasn't even any kind of an idea that people would grab hold of. It wasn't something we woke up in the morning and we thought, well, we better be careful today because death is lurking around the... Moms, how many of you do that when you send your kids out the door in the morning? Be careful. Wear a helmet. Don't talk to strangers. Listen, wear a helmet. Don't talk to strangers. I'm not suggesting those are bad rules. But none of those existed here because death wasn't even an inkling. And then sin, and God says, it's broken now. It's cursed now. And oh, by the way, you're going to die. See, in this moment, peace and prosperity has been replaced with death and decay. And the reason I need you to understand that is because death and decay the reality of death and decay, that's the root of fear and anxiety. It just is. Fear and anxiety root in this idea that instead of peace and prosperity, that, that we deal with death and decay in the world. And to this day, fear and anxiety wreak havoc in the lives of God's children who are intended for peace and prosperity. And so that we're not confused when I say prosperity, I'm not talking stuff. When I say prosperity, a truly prosperous life, the truly prosperous life that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden was this oneness with God, was this relationship with God, was being naked and unashamed in front of God, was having all of this relationship was perfect and good and right. But peace and prosperity are gone and death and decay come and it wreaks havoc on God's children. And so when you raise your hand and you say, yeah, I worry. Yeah, I've got anxiety. Yes, I'm afraid in life. This is where it's rooted. It's rooted in the simple fact that you and those you love are fragile. You and those you love are going to die uplifting. Okay, feel good message of the year. You're going to die. Some of you 
are going to live a long, long time. Some of you may be looking in the mirror, Hans, not so much further. I got to stop eating so much pizza. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. It's going to happen. And it's at the root of everything, and Satan knows it, and Satan messes with you. Satan messes with you because Satan knows you're fragile and he knows that the people you love are fragile and he knows that relationships are fragile and he knows that, that everything ends and he knows that it's all on this trajectory and he knows this and he feeds your anxiety and your fear because if you're going to die or people you love are going to die, then God can't be for you. Who's looking out for you? You better get control of your life because nobody else does. See, that's the lie of the enemy, is you better grab with both hands and control your life because God is not for you. God isn't looking out for you. God's left you with this. But there's an answer to it. Jesus speaks so clearly to this. We're going we're gonna to look at Jesus' words in, in, in Matthew 6. You know this text. You know it well. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. We're going to break this into chunks. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say when he tackles anxiety and worry and fear head on. Okay, it starts with this. This is what he says. This is why I tell you, and so we're picking up mid-story here, mid-parable as Jesus is talking, but, but for our purpose, you know, I always warn you against that, but for our purposes today, trust me, it's okay. Okay, I'm not leading you astray here. It says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. This is Jesus talking here. Don't worry about everyday life. Don't worry whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, I'm going to stop you there because right away I've lost some of you. Right away, some of you are like, whoa, I, I, I can't connect with this. Because some of you in here have worried about what food you will eat today. And some of you in here have worried about what clothing you'll put on today. Most of you in here have not. You know, if Randy were up here and, and he were giving um, this message in Haiti, it would have a much different meaning or context. Most of you are like me, and you go spend 200 bucks at the grocery store, and you come home and you load your cupboards full of food, and then you're not sure what you'll make for dinner because you don't have anything. Or your kids open up the fridge and say, there's nothing to eat. Most of us can't relate to this, but, but I want you to get to the heart of it. Stop, stop worrying about, about, well, yeah, I've got stuff to eat, and I've got stuff to drink, and I've got clothes to wear. No, no, get, get to the heart of it. And this, the heart of this is, is priority. Understand this. When you prioritize poorly, okay, then anxiety is not far behind when you prioritize your food and drink and clothing, then you will have anxiety about food and drink and clothing. And Jesus say, don't do that. I don't know what you prioritize, okay? But, but what you value, what you give extra inordinate value to, that is going to bring worry into your life. That's going to bring fear and anxiety in your life. If it's money, and some of you it's money. Some of you have this inordinate value that you place on money. So therefore, you have fear and anxiety that rile up around anything that has to do with finances, with money, with work, with, with the spending of things, and with what you... Okay? 
And, and, and it's not just that you, that you budget well. Listen, budget well. Right? Live well. Give well. Budget well. Do all of those things. It's not just that. But you know as well as I do that when, when that's what you've prioritized is money and having enough money and getting all you can get, that all of the fear and anxiety rile up around money. And it's inordinate. So it's, why are we doing that? And you know what? For some of you, it's stuff. For some of you, it's not money. It's the stuff you get with money. And you, you, you get this. It's like when, you, when, when your stuff wasn't worth anything, like there was like no anxiety about your stuff. Like for some of you, you remember when you got out of college and you got your first apartment and you had a sofa that belonged to four other people before you, <laughs> right? And your friends want to eat spaghetti on the sofa. You're like, yeah, whatever. Eat spaghetti on the sofa, right? It'll match all the other stains on the sofa. But then when you got your first new sofa, right? And, and by now you've got kids because that makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> I know, I'll have kids and buy new stuff, whatever. But then you have kids and how many of you then went to, okay, you cannot eat in the living room. There is a no eating in the living room policy because, because I, I, can't, I can't risk the stuff. And the more I value stuff, the more my fear and anxiety about my stuff raises. Like, like I got to have a garage to park my car because I can't leave my car out in the elements. My car wasn't made to be in rain. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. And for a lot of us, it's our kids. We have so much fear and anxiety over our kids. that we flit around like helicopter parents. And again, it is your job to raise and protect your kids. It's my job to raise and protect my kids. But you can't, you can't live life trying to protect your kids from everything that might potentially go wrong. You can't protect your kids from everything that might potentially go wrong. It's impossible. All you will do is you will rob yourself of every joy that God intended you to have. Because in this world that's broken, we do our best. We're wise. We're disciplined. We do our work. But eventually we have to realize that we cannot control this thing called life. We're all on this trajectory. It's, guys, look, I get it. It's a struggle. Jesus gets it. That's why he says, look, that's why I'm telling you, stop worrying about these things that you've prioritized. He's using food and drink and clothes because that was very real in the hearts of people that he was talking to. But stop worrying about the things you've prioritized. Stop giving them this inordinate place in your life, the more value than they should have. And then he gives this. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't stew, store food in barns. But your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And, and I love this example. He says, think about the birds in the air. You ever watch birds? Birds are busy. I mean, they're not lazy. It's not like they're just sitting around all day. I mean, they're always moving around, always building nests in places at my house that I don't want them to have nests, right? And then you knock down the nest, and what do they do? They build a new one. They don't learn well, birds. It's a whole different thing. Okay, but the problem is, right, that even the birds 
Jesus is saying, look, even the birds who really don't matter much in the grand scheme of things, you know what? God creates them. God cares for them. He feeds them. He, he, he does what they need. But, but ultimately, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They're not the same as us. All you nature lovers out there really, really get this, this idea. Look, nature is great. Um, God created it. We should be great stewards of it. But you are more valuable than that. You are the one that is created in God's very own image. You are God's masterpiece. You are the one that, that he has intimately crafted together in your mother's womb. That's you, okay? And so Jesus is saying here, look, look, God takes care of the birds, right? Aren't you more valuable than that? Aren't, aren't you more than that? And so won't God take care of you? And here we get this first little inkling, okay? Just Write down or think in your head about the word trust. We're going to come back to it. But here's the first thing he says. is like, this is how God takes care of the birds, right? But you, you're more valuable than that. And so the underlying question is, do you trust it? Do you believe that it's true? And we'll come, we'll come back to that. And oh, by the way, can you really add a moment to your life? Why torture yourself? That's what you do. All the worry, all the fear, all the anxiety, you're just torturing yourself because to some degree, you don't have the power to add a single moment to your life. Do you believe? It says in Psalm 139, we read it all over the case in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that God has your days numbered. Now, I know we want to have a big theological debate against free will and God's will, and let me tell you this. I'm just going to answer this very quickly. Free will, God's will, do not contradict we could spend hours and hours having this doctrinal discussion, and here's what we would come down to. Free will is an absolute reality of life. You have the freedom to choose and do. It's part of being made in God's very own image. It's part of understanding that you have the image of God in you, that you can act and choose. Yes, the sovereignty of God, that God is good and powerful and in control and nothing happens apart from God's will, also a reality. Humanly speaking, those two things should contradict but we're not speaking humanly about this because God is all the way up here, right? We're all the way down here. Don't get hung up on the detail. But God has your days numbered, and you can't add a single hour. That's Jesus' statement there. You can't add days to your life. And then he continues, and so why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their own clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And so we continue with this thinking that says, look, God loves things that are temporary. God loves things that are not all that important um, in the grand scheme of things. God loves things that aren't made in his very image. God loves the beauty and splendor of all of this. And how much more will he not care for you? It's just the way that it goes. And then I, we, we finish up this thought. It, it continues in a couple more verses, but it finishes up this. And, and Jesus then looks at his, his followers and he says, okay, so look, why is it that you have so little faith? He's like, so I've told you, 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 don't worry about the things that you value. Don't worry so much about them. Stop being anxious and afraid. Now, here's the difference. Being wise about them, like I'm not going to put my money under my mattress. I'm going to put my money in some investments. That's wise. 
right? I'm not going to fret over my investments every day and wring my hands and wonder what's going to happen to my money and if it'll be there when I need it later. No, that's fear and anxiety. We're not saying don't be wise. Don't be afraid. And God says, don't be afraid. Look how God takes care of the birds. Look how God takes care of the wildflowers. You are so much more important to God than that. You are so much more valuable to God than those things. So stop having little faith and don't worry about those things. You know why? This is the great thing. He says this, and it should, if you have a lot of fear and anxiety, this should stab you right in the heart. If you have a lot of fear and anxiety, this this should cause you to have some self-reflection. Here's what he says about this. He says, look, um, those are things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. All that worry, all that fear, all that anxiety about your stuff, about your kids, about your, your money, about your job, about your house, about your future, about your retirement, about your ability to travel the country in your brand new RV. I don't know what you worry about, right? Probably stuff like that. Your health. Whatever it is. He says, why do you worry about that? You know who worries about it like the way you're worried? Unbelievers worry about it that way. People that aren't Christians worry about it that way. So here's, here's the big question. It's why do you run around in anxiety and fear like those who don't know God? Shouldn't you be different? I mean, if you really are a Christian, if you really are justified before God, and if you really are in a process of sanctification, shouldn't you be different? Shouldn't you know that God has got this? And when you don't, right? When you don't understand that, it's because you've forgotten that control is an illusion. Think about the things in your life that you've tried way too hard to control. Did it work? For a lot of you with grown kids... I mean, it's the easiest example for a lot of you with grown kids that tried way too hard to control your grown kids, and you didn't give them the freedom to grow, and you didn't give them the freedom to, to, to fail, right? You didn't give them the freedom to try and fall on their face and, and then figure out what success when For those of you that, that were that way, um, did it work? I mean, I'm willing to bet that by and large it did not. Or, or, you know, you fret over your 401k. That's a thing, right? Okay. You fret over your 401k, right? And, and you worry about how much is in there. And, and, and you look at it every day and you stare at it every day and you, you like wish at it every day that it were bigger. I mean, does that really make it bigger? Does it really work that way? Of course not. And we're smart enough to know that. But God says, look, stop acting like unbelievers act. Stop being the exact same as everybody else. Christian, you are a terrible witness 
for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? What did we say earlier? That we are all about sharing the love of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Christ saves, that God wants us, that we're good with him, that he'll reconcile to us, that we'll be redeemed, all of those things. That, that is our message. And if I'm saying, hey, God loves you, but then I'm acting like everybody else that doesn't have God acts. What kind of a witness is that? Jesus says, why in the world do you act like everybody else? You of all people in a right relationship with the God of the universe. These people are sitting with the Son of God himself, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, who is going to go to the cross and die on their behalf. It's like, I am going to die for you. Really? You're worried about that? Really? Says, come on. We know this stuff. And, and, and he, you know what? He just, he continues. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Some of your lawyers are going into overdrive right now. You got that legal team, right? We talked about it last week. Your lawyers are going into overdrive right now. But Matt, well, time out, Matt. What about Christians that have starved to death? What about Christians that have been martyred? What about Christians who've been beaten and thrown naked into jail because of their faith? They certainly loved God. They certainly sought first the kingdom, and everything wasn't given to them. And so automatically we assume it's not true. God can't, or God won't. God doesn't want to. And it kicks our anxiety into even higher gear. But don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Here's how I want you to think of it. I want you to look 50,000 years into the future. Look 50,000 years into the future. Choose your biggest anxiety right now. biggest thing that wrecks you right now and look 50,000 years into the future your retirement fund your cancer your sick children your jacked up relationship when you look 50,000 years into the future is all of that anxiety worth it? Does all of it matter? Of course not. That doesn't mean that it doesn't weigh on you now, but what it means is that it's not as big as you think it is. See, here's where we have to wrap ourselves up. We have, we have to get this. What is the absolute worst thing, humanly speaking, that could happen to you today when you get in your car and drive home? You get in a wreck and you die. Fifty thousand years from now, Christian, that too will not matter. One day from now, that won't matter. Your retirement fund tanks and you've got nothing to live on except the kindness of others. Fifty thousand years from now, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Riley, 
my oldest girl, away from home. Something tragic happens to her and she dies. I will feel it. But 50,000 years from now, it will not matter. What Jesus isn't saying here is, look, if you trust me, I'll give you everything you need to live this life on earth. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying, get Jesus so you can get bread, right? He's not saying, use God for bread for today. What he's saying is, if you get, you know what? You get God, and that is all you will ever need. That is all you will ever need. There is nothing else that you will ever need deep down. You'll never need anything except for God. It's not that I come to Jesus so that I can get prosperity. But coming to Jesus is prosperity. This is our issue with, with, with the prosperity gospel, right? It's like you come to Jesus and Jesus fixes all this stuff in your life. No, he doesn't. No. It's the wrong idea of prosperity. See, but I come to Jesus and I am then prosperous because God and I are good. And I have a right relationship. And whatever anxiety or fear happens now, 50,000 years from now, it just does not matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter now. I just have to wrap my head around it. I just have to wrap my head around it. He finishes this. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow brings enough worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So tomorrow, this is this, is this wonderfully compassionate statement that Jesus gives us. I love this. Okay, he's like, just, just stop. Stop worrying about tomorrow. When you guys worry, I mean, let's be honest here. Show of hands. When you worry about something, how many of you are actually worried about something that's happening today? Okay. How many of you were worried about something in the future? Something potential or possible in the future? Sure, that's what we worry about. And Jesus, this is such a great statement for Jesus. He's like, you know what? Stop worrying about tomorrow. Yeah, you know what? I love the acknowledgement. Look, you know what? Tomorrow has worries of its own. They're waiting for you. Don't skip ahead and grab those, right? Today has worries that need to be dealt with. And what Jesus isn't saying is, hey, you should have fear and anxiety, but have fear and anxiety about today instead. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is, look, Enjoy today. Enjoy now. You got fear today? Give it to God and enjoy today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Again, I'm not telling you to don't be wise. Don't be a good steward, right? Do, do those things, but don't worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. That's the call. I mean, that really, that ultimately, that's all it is that Jesus is asking us to do. He said, focus right now on today right? Because here's the thing. If you're always focused on tomorrow's worries, then you won't have the capacity to enjoy God's blessings in your life right now. And here's what I promise you. Some of you I know intimately. Some of you I don't really know at all, okay? But for all of you, I can tell you this. God has blessed you today. There are blessings that flow abundant in your life today. There are things that represent the goodness of God in your life right now now. That's just the way that it is. 
It's how it works. But if you're focused on tomorrow's worries, you're missing God's blessings today. It's problematic. And so when you've got worries today, you need to give them to God and you need to move forward. You say, man, how do I give them to God? It's simple. Just, just know this one thing. Lamentations 3, 21 to 23. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. How many of you know that hymn? Great is thy faithfulness. Here's the deal. God is so merciful that he deals with your worries today with fresh mercies that were made just for today. That's what that's telling me, is I can still, in the face of all that might be bad, in the face of all that is bad, I can still dare to hope. Because my faithful God loves me, he has forgiven me, and he has fresh mercies waiting for me for today. And when tomorrow comes around with its own worries and its own problems, guess what? He's got fresh mercies for those too. When you've got fear and anxiety in your life, there is just no need to hold on to it because God is good and gracious. And when you've got God, you've got all that you need. But here's the problem. There are too many of you here today that will just not admit this one thing. Ask the praise team to come up. They're going to prepare us to close us out. And there's this one thing I need you to know. Here's the big problem with all of this. There are too many of you in here right now who struggle with fear and anxiety who refuse to admit this one thing. It's a tough truth I have to give you. Okay, don't get mad at me. I, I, I Really, I, I want you to not be angry with me, but I want you to trust me as your pastor. The reason you struggle with uncontrolled anxiety and the reason you struggle with uncontrollable fear in your life, the reason that those things drive you is because you do not believe that God is good. The reason that you are wrecked with anxiety, the reason that you are driven by fear is because you do not believe that God is good. You don't believe that he's for you. Because you can't logically believe both things, can you? You can't logically believe that God is good and God is for you and then also logically believe that you have to be anxious and afraid because life is out of control. You can't believe both, not logically. And there are far too many of us here who are stuck in anxiety and fear because we don't believe that God is good, but we won't admit it. We won't confess it. So I will model for you. When my fear is out of control, when my anxiety is out of control, it is because I am having trouble believing that God chooses to love and care and honor me. I'm sometimes just not sure I'm worth it. But I'll never get over fear and anxiety in my life if I don't confess it. If I don't confess it, if I don't own it, and I don't struggle to move forward because his grace is new 
every day. And anxiety will never lose its power in my life when I'm not willing to let the Holy Spirit start to work on the truth that I'm not sure I trust God. And some of you don't trust him either because I, we, we've talked about it. You're like, but Matt, if God loves me, then why did my marriage fall apart? Or why did my child die? Or if God loves me, then why am I struggling to make ends meet? Or why do my kids hate me? Or why isn't my daughter walking with the Lord? Or why aren't these things happening? If God really loved me, all of this would be falling into place. I get it. I understand. But until you confess that you're not sure about God's love for you, you'll never be able to move on from fear and anxiety because you will be trying to control it all on your own. But God has taken care of us, and he has, fre he has fresh mercies each morning. So this is a matter of confession for us. If you have worry and anxiety in your life, it's time to confess that one of two things is true. Okay, Either you haven't been trusting God the way that you should, okay, or you haven't believed that God is good. Those are the only two options. If you're a Christian here and you have fear and anxiety in your life, you're either not trusting that God is for you or you're not trusting that he cares for you or that he's powerful enough or something. But it's this confession time. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And this song is all about giving us clean hearts. So we're going to ask God to take this from us through this song. As we sing, you're asking God, take this away from me. And we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to be dismissed. But listen to me. God is for you.